I think I think so. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Billy Watson TV. Um, I've got a great pleasure today to introduce somebody. Basically, I had uh, Murray of the Family Phillips on the show, and um, after that, we conversed a little, and he recommended to get in touch with tonight's guest. And uh, so I did that, and since then, I've learned a lot about him, and I've asked him on the show. So welcome to the show, Andy. How are you doing? Hey, Billy, I'm very well. Thanks for having me. Um, I feel it's good to be on. Um, and thanks to Murray as well for the for the recommendation. I, I really appreciate it. Hard yep. act to follow. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, as I was saying before, everyone's kind of got their own contribution to make in whichever way they can. So you're making a great contribution, and as is Murray. So we'll get into what you're doing. Just before we uh, get into the aspects of you know your kind of activism stuff, would you like yeah. to give a background, uh, an introduction to your background, kind of where you grew up and who you are and what led yeah. you to this point? <laughs> I thought you were going to start off with easy questions, Billy. <laughs> no, no, I'm Andy McGovern. Uh, I live in the East End. I live in Toll Cross. I've uh, been living here for about, um, about six years. I'm living in the flat uh, that my granny was in, so we were always out here. That would be the East uh, End of Glasgow, folks. <laughs> <laughs> that's I Toll Cross, a popular tourist destination. Um, but no, I, I love it here. Uh, great people, and I work here as well. I work for the local Cross YMCA. Uh, I manage the project there. Uh, I've been doing that now for about five years as well. So do a lot of community work in the area. Um, and I don't know how I find time for it, but I've also got a, a growing business as well. I uh, grow food in the east end of Glasgow and sell it to the cafes and restaurants. Um, and that's my business, Greenheart Grows. So that's my kind of professional life. In terms of my, my past, I uh, loved football. Growing up, was really into sport, and um, to the extent I'd learned how to be a, a football coach. I did my coaching badges, and I started to travel. Um, after I finished uni, I studied English lit, realised I didn't want to be an English teacher. Um, and then I travelled. I spent five years out of Scotland in my early 20s, and um, kind of lost my Choctaw's accent uh, overseas. Okay. Spent time in the States working as a football coach time in South America, a couple of years working as an English teacher, and then a football coach again in Australia. So after that, I came back, went back to uni to study community development, which took me to YMCA. So, aye, aye, it's been a, <laughs> it's been a good life thus far, Billy. Aye, so that's me. Yeah, so, sounds like a very interesting journey you've been on there. Aye, aye. Oh, yeah. I lived in a different... Yeah, a couple of countries in Spain and Turkey, and you do learn a lot about yourself when you leave your home country. You become you become more Scottish. Is what I, I find myself. <laughs> I find myself saying words that I, that my dad would say. That you know, I can't. They don't come out uh, come in my head just now. But uh, you become aware of how you speak, um, and sometimes why you why you think the the way that you do your your wee tendencies and all that. And you become very Scottish and very, very patriotic, but no, it's right what you say. I think at times in life you can learn more about something by stepping back from it. And certainly for me, stepping back from life in the East End of Glasgow, and I was 19, 20, and I realised um, 
what I was up to at the weekend wasn't quite good for me and it was maybe taking its toll and I uh, wanted to get away from that type of life and uh, it becomes clearer the further you get away from it. So, uh, good experience. So, what was the first thing that took you out of the country then? Um, really, it was, a, it, was a, it was a book that I read. Um, uh, it was a book that I read uh, on the roads by Jack Kerouac. Right. Um, yeah. I read that book when I was 16. Um, for anybody that doesn't know, Jack Kerouac's On the Road is about hitchhiking, essentially, and, and travelling. Um, Jack Kerouac's autobi- autobiographical piece where he travels from the East Coast to the West Coast and then eventually to South America, uh, or Mexico, more accurately. And I read that book, Billy, and I thought to myself that I, it was it was maybe possible to have similar experiences. And then I started and I, I went to South America and lo and behold, I met a guy over there, Plinio. Um, and Plinio's my, my best friend. And uh, me and him hitchhiked over South America, um, spent three months traveling, and we spent between us uh, about $100. And um, I kind of replicated those experiences. So it was great. I, I mean, the lessons I took from it is if you actually get out there and you get yourself away from um, your friends that you went to school with, the, the area that you grew up in, if you get away from that, um, strange things can happen to you. You'll meet the right people at the right time. You'll go to the right places. And um, it's not all good, but certainly it, it exposes you to uh, it exposes you to, to to life in general. You know, I used to phone up my mum and dad when I was over in places like Australia and South America and asked them, what's happening? What have you been up to? <laughs> and you look at the same. Nobody gets up to anything, you know. <laughs> and then my mate phoned me and said, listen, Andy, I, I appreciate you going travelling and all that, but don't phone me on a Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday. And I knew why. He was still right. buggered for the weekends. So <laughs> it was funny to see that as well. Yeah, it's uh, when you do it, I live like that in Turkey quite a lot on the edge, and you kind of from one day to the other, never mind one week to the other, and mm. it does make life kind of interesting. <laughs> but it does yeah, leave it leaves room for magic to kind of happen in the universe if you don't know, you know, then yeah. you're out there and spontaneous things can happen, you know. That's it. I feel as though it's almost like the universe is trying to get to you. It's trying to I get think it supports you, you. It's like nature's all supported. Cats and animals and dogs survive. We can survive too. Nature's there to support us. We have to trust it. That's it. No, exactly. And I, I do feel like even the, the work that I'm doing just now, or kind of at different times in my life, but especially just now, I feel like I'm being led. Um, I feel like th- things are opening up and coming into my path at the right time. And that certainly happens when you travel because when you work in a, a call centre, nine to five, um, those opportunities and those windows for the magic to, to come in through um, aren't there. And as soon as you take yourself out of the kind of this kind of mechanical routine type life, as soon as you get out of that, it's as if it's like, right, okay, here you go. And I've had uh, even like my main hobby is a uh, hill walk. And even when I go to Toll Cross, I live and I work here. As soon as I'm on that motorway and I've got the van packed with all the camp and stuff. I know I'm going to have an adventure and life's yeah. going to open up and different things are going to happen and my life becomes more interesting and the time passes slower because you're experiencing life and you're actually living. You're not in this kind of mechanical life. When I think back to the... I, I feel ancient, Billy. I'm 33 years <laughs> <of age. laughs> This is when you say, you don't look ancient, Andy. Thanks, Billy. You don't look... 
that ancient. <laughs> is, is that for you? <laughs> Me, I've had worse. I've had worse. Right, okay, cool. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So how I was going to ask, how did you get into the YAMC aspect? Obviously, obviously, you've come back then and gone into this community stuff, and that is that your first job in the YAMC after you got trained in that. Ah, but what happened? I started there as a volunteer, you know, as the pathway into the community sector. Like what happened, Billy, is I, I was in Australia, I was in a place called Bondi, which is in the east. I'm sure you've maybe seen Bondi show. Um, but Bondi is, if you imagine Toke Cross Road, right, and imagine the opposite of it, right, that's Bondi. It's eastern <laughs> suburbs, Australia. <laughs> it's got the beach. Uh, your takeaways are smoothie bars. Um, your your uh, betting shops and your your bookies, uh, those are juice bars. Everything's about health, organic, being outdoors. I did a lot of surfing, um, right. met a lot of great people. And what happened over there, Billy, was a uh, I moved in with a guy in a flat again, call it chance. And this guy was uh, the leader of Transition Bondi, which is a group um, working with community around food um, in Australia. And I moved in with him, and after that, everything changed. Um, I started to grow food. I started to research things. He had a big bookcase, which is one of the things that attracted me at the flat, and it was all DVDs and books. I was at 27 billion. That was my kind of my waking up time. I suddenly realised the world was mad. Um, and, uh, and I'm not embarrassed about before that point, but I wasn't really questioning things before the age of 27. I was intelligent enough to kind of have my own mind, but... The, the contradictions hadn't presented themselves as stark as they did at that time. Anyway, I came back for the was, and was, that that the books, was that because of the books he had on the book, bookshelf? Aye. <laughs> you try to say them. Uh, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying, what books did they have? Is that how you get it? to do with, um, his background was in growing, but he came at it from a political uh, bent. So his was a lot to do with reducing carbon emissions, the impact on the planet, um, all those types of DVDs and books relating to that and how we need to lower the uh, lessen the impact of human beings on the planet. There's a lot of health stuff as well, and I was more attracted at that time to that. Um, so it was, it was an experience for me where I was learning a lot. I was And I was mixing with a lot of people. They used to do community dinners there. And Bonsai and I would go down to the community dinners where they, they would put on a meal for the community and with food that they'd grown. Right. It was just really stimulating and things that I hadn't seen before. Anyway, I came back to Glasgow and I did what I always do when I came back for travelling. I got the bus from the airport to Glasgow City Centre and I wanted to walk through because when I came back from the States, I'd been away for a year. Uh, South America, two years in Australia too. So it's nice to walk through Glasgow after okay. a two-year period and just... You see it. You see it differently. When I came back to the states, I thought, "Oh, well, this isn't." It. <laughs> I always imagined it being bigger. And when yeah. I came back to South America, I was looking at the ornate buildings and thinking, feeling really proud. So I was, uh, I was wanting to have that experience after Australia. And when I came, was walking through Glasgow, it struck me immediately how unhealthy people were. And I don't mean that bad. Right. I'm sure, I'm sure people won't take offence to that. Um, especially the closer I got to the East End. And the colour of people's skin, um, as compared to in Australia, with all that sun and all that that lifestyle. So I came back and I realised I wanted to to replicate what I'd been involved in in Australia, and 
Um, chat to Joe the YMCA and uh, told them that I could dismantle pallets and put them together and, and grow food for young people. And um, they were surprised that I was willing to do that for nothing. Um, but I was. I was a volunteer there for six months, started the garden project, did a funding application to give myself hours. Eventually, the garden project became more popular than the YMCA itself. Um, and at that time, I finished the, the Masters in Community Development. So everything kind of just went like that. And, where we started community dinners at Talk Toast YMCA, which we still do. Um, so really it was seeing, just seeing the, the kind of contrast and at 27, you know, I had I wanted to do something uh, to enjoy and um, started growing football and went round to my local community garden and I had an experience uh, one day where I was putting everything in the bed and um, I realised how much time had passed because the sun had went down. Okay. And I had a moment, I said to myself, I said, Andy, listen, if you can do this for a living, if you can make a living out of doing this, you've cracked it. Um, and from that point, uh, I became much more focused in setting up a business and really getting tore into uh, what I do in the kind of community. So it's been good so far. Yeah, sounds awesome. So the business itself, let's talk about the, the growing business then. Would, what, mm -hmm. uh, you've got a small but you said in the East End of Glasgow, you grow. Is that like an allotment or something? I've got, I've got an allotment myself, but I was growing in a site in Park Head, Billy, but since we last spoke, I've actually signed a 10-year lease for a piece of land in Burnt Island. Okay. Uh, so I'll be transitioning to that this year. Um, but how the Green Art Growers started, I came back to Australia, where there'd been a lot of food being grown and a lot of, kind of community growing uh, and self-sufficiency being promoted. And I, I decided to look up. Um, I started writing a business plan, and part of it was to be aware of your competition and uh, to present the, your knowledge of that and to see any gaps in the market. And I realised at that point that Glasgow, a population of one million people, there was only one urban grower <laughs> in it, Locobor, in the south side of Glasgow. And I realised that that just uh, nailed it for me. I was like, right, I, I can do this. And I had my, in my bag, I had my spiel, you know, I put the tie on and all that. And I was going to go around all the housing associations. And I had about 40 letters in my bag. And I was going to go around them all, no matter how long it took. <laughs> and I got on the bus at Toll Cross. <laughs> and I was five minutes in the bus up to Parkhead, two minutes actually. And I went in to speak to the first housing association. It was And it was very much like, we've been waiting for you. I said to them, do you have a bit of land? And there's a bit of land around the corner. And they took me around there and then and showed me it. And that became the basis of the business. And from that point, we did gardening workshops. We developed the whole site um, using techniques uh, from Canada. Um, no doubt techniques, but also kind of urban farming techniques about how to grow in uh, urban environments where you don't have a lot of space um, and getting the systems in place for that. I went round again <laughs> with my bag full of my price list to all the cafes and restaurants, handed them over, and they're like, ah, we've been waiting for you. you know? <laughs> it, was like it was like, honestly, they were waiting for me to stop talking so that they could uh, say Give yes. <laughs> so I wanted, it was, but the thing is, I'd seen it in Australia, and I knew that it worked, and it was such an advantage coming back and seeing that gap, and the reception was great, and now I, I supply... Restaurants like the Gannet, uh, Kale Brook, who the first uh, Michelin star in Glasgow for 18 years. Um, 
I'm not saying it's a produce that they go in the mixing stand, but I think it helped. <laughs> With regard but, to your produce, you know, obviously in stuff in the supermarkets is all pesticided up to the max. How do you mm -hmm. grow your products and are they, is the soil good and what kind of care do you take over the, the produce? No, definitely, well, everything's organic, no pesticides. Um, so nothing like that at all. Like, no chemicals is an absolute no-go, but another technique we use, Billy, is uh, the no-dig method. So in kind of industrial farming, uh, you're going to be a tractor, a heavy machinery, and you'll plough, and you'll have all that weight on the soil compacting it. You'll be ripping the soil up as well, and that means any type of root structure which is in it, any type of uh, microorganisms or worms, you're essentially you're destroying the habitat in order to develop it. So what the no-dig technique is, is you just put your compost on top of the soil and it will sink down. And then you keep doing that. And then eventually you'll have a soil which is about like that and it's just untampered with um, uh, soil. And the benefit of that for the plants is, is incredible. If you look up a guy called um, Charles Dowding, he does a no-bed technique. He's a, the grandfather of it, you could say. And he does the two beds side by side and he does it each year and he gives an update. He said, this bed's been dug over with a spade in, in the traditional manner. This one's no dig. And the no dig one outperforms the, the dig one every time, which seems counterintuitive. But if you think about it, you don't see God running about with a spade. Right, true. You know? <laughs> it's like the trees yeah. have leaves. The, the leaves fall. They feed yeah. the soil, feed the roots. The roots stay strong and then it, the process continues. So... You're basically, with organic techniques, you're trying to replicate the methods uh, the nature uses and you try to bring that as a practice and um, it's, it's good for your back as well. You know, digging soil over, especially when it's wet, at times you have to in the month of February, March, when you're developing a site, it's no healthy. Um, and you try and get to the, the site to a point where you're just laying things on top. So it's good for you and it's, uh, it's good for the soil and it's good for the plants. Well, I've been uh, talking quite a lot recently about the need to be in control of our own food supply because who knows what's around the corner. They gave us a wee taste of, you know, less things in the supermarket and then people start fighting over toilet roll. Imagine if that was food. And again... God, I, I, I can make you more, Billy. And I, I think that may be coming. You, you, I heard noises about that and, um, at the start of the year and my thoughts did go there. In fact... What happened this year when the restaurants, cafes and the restaurants shut down, we had all this produce in the ground. And I'm looking at it, wondering what to do with it. So we set up a, a veg box scheme where we fed, uh, we provided a veg box for local people in the area, 30 boxes every week. And it was a combination of uh, mixed salads, uh, three herbs every week, a choice of vegetables and edible flowers. And then you get your bonuses throughout the season, your apples when they came in and your parsnips at the ends and whatnot. And working with the community was fantastic because you were giving people in the East End of Glasgow access to food which had been picked like an hour before. In fact, what some people were asking is they would want to come along and pick it themselves. <laughs> I was like, are you yeah. sure? Are you sure? Um, and, you know, how can this get any better? Um, so that was great. People want to get involved in it. But what that taught me is people really want to engage with the food. And it can be a kind of a kind of middle class thing, you know, you know, the way where you want to aye, you want to still get the benefits of it. But I think we're getting to that stage now, Billy, where people's uh, relationship to their food and where it comes from um, is going to become 
um, at the forefront. So that was part of my intention for taking the larger piece of land at Burnt Island. It's a bit of a commute, but it's a beautiful piece of land and I'll be able to grow more because I don't really know what's going to happen with these restaurants and cafes, especially the high-end ones, you know, when the, the impact of the, the Great Reset comes in. And, uh, well, hopefully it won't get to that stage, but we need to put ourselves in a position, not just as businesses and people trying to make a living, but as people as well having access to food and especially good food. If ever there was a time or a, an argument for organic food, you know, it is now. Well, I think actually it's not just the access to organic food. We have to learn the methods that you're obviously employing there. More and more people need to learn these skills that we've obviously lost. And tending to the field sounds like quite hard work. And if you've got an easier way to do it and can produce stuff relatively quickly, to me it's quite important that that knowledge is shared amongst people mm. interested in survival because... It seems like, you know, we've, they've not been shown as these TV shows for nothing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, true. And you're dead right. The passing on the skills is a is a big part of it. And that's, that's one of the, the most pleasing things about it is when you see people who, you see this all the time these days. I remember giving a guy uh, a piece of uh, rocket, uh, rocket leaf to taste. And I, I think he thought I was trying to spike him. He was, he was like, hey, that's good, Andy. He's at five seconds later, he's like, you know, he's never tried something like that. He, he never would, but he didn't know what it was, so he tried it. And you get that a lot in the, the East End. It's a strange one because within the context of this time, uh, many people would shy away from it, but the older people in the East Ends and older people in general do remember a time when your food did taste better, uh, when your food was fresh and where it was organic. My mum and dad can remember that, and I'm, I'm sure yours as well. So... There's that all the elements are there for it. Uh, people have a, a desire to reconnect with the food and and that way and to learn the skills. And now that it's uh, you know necessity is the mother of invention, so it's getting to that point where um, passing on these skills is it's going to happen. Ah, it's going to happen. Well, I think even this whole Corona uh, debacle, whatever it is, but basically it's woken a lot of folk up to think more seriously about our health. Because if we're mm. learning, there's no virus going around that's actually toxins in our body when you have the cold or the flu. And then you go to the supermarket and that's all the junk food you're putting into your body. Mm. It's not good. So the thing is about all these foods and the additives they have, they all use this strong flavour and stuff. So our tongue and our taste gets used to wanting these like pickled uh. onion, Munster Munch and all these things that zap you. And then real food doesn't seem as exciting. So do you uh. give any ways to encourage people... Do they just eat raw pears and raw carrots or do you find a way to present the food? How do they do it in the restaurants and stuff? Do they keep it vegan yeah. necessarily or, you know? Uh, well, the way they do it, there's a kind of contrast between the restaurants and uh, kind of ordinary people. And when I'm selling at the restaurants, they'll give me feedback if, the, for example, if the mizuna is too long. You know, I've received text messages that Andy, the mizuna is too long. And I'm like, what do you mean? This is at the start. He said, well, Andy, your right. is that size. You know, we right. went to that size. Okay. You know, and they, in all seriousness, you know, because the way that they're using the produce, Billy, is they're taking that and that and putting it on the plate like that and that. I remember when we first got the contract with the Gannet, I thought we'd cracked it. I was like, how many tables have they got? we 90 tables. I was doing my sums and all that. And then the orders started coming in. Um, 
and it was such small amounts. And I said to him, I said, you know, I thought you'd be going through a bit more. He said, Andy, you need to come and see how we're using it. Right. One of the perks of the job, I get taken along at the end of the year at these kind of places and get to, it's the only time I get to try right. this food. And you can see the way they do it and how, how they use it. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes it is for aesthetic and they'll tell you, I've had them not back certain products because they're too spicy or they're too flavorful. At times for these guys, it's aesthetics and how it looks. Mm. Whereas when I was doing the veg box, uh, nobody complained about the size yeah. of the Mizuna. You know, <laughs> if anything, people were was really taken on uh, by the contrast. And the, the, the biggest thing was this, the, the comment and the smell, not even the taste, the smell of the herbs, oh, fresh yeah. cut herbs and the kind of yeah. waft of fennel and dill and coriander and mint. Um, so I think the way to get through them is, is the senses. And I think that a good way of doing it is the, the community dinners. We do community dinners at the YMCA and we have... Uh, 60 people come in. We do it once a month. Uh, in the summertime, we do it more. And what you have there is you have people coming in and sitting together, um, all different uh, members of the community. And from there, they've got the opportunity, if they want, to volunteer in the kitchen. If they want to get involved and want to learn how to uh, prepare the food, that's fine. Given that we're growing the food in the church garden and we tie in with the Toll Cross allotments, Shelton Community Grown Project, um, Green Heart Grows, we, we donate as well. I, I donate through that to the YMCA. What you're providing people is the opportunity to sit down and to sample this. And you need to be careful. You can't go too fast. Um, <laughs> you know, you'll get people, you know, like, oh, what's this? Or uh, especially with somebody that you're kind of like sorrel and things like that, you know, that kind of lemony taste in a salad will throw people off. But the best tactic, Billy, is to get them young. Get it as young as you can, because what happens with the, the mind of a child is that, that before the age of like, in my experience, like seven, eight, nine, when the tastes are still developing, you've got an opportunity there, and they will try things. And it's the younger they are, the less they'll hesitate. The yeah. older they get, the more they'll hesitate. Is it just like you said, the tastes become refined. So I think, I think early intervention is key, and one of the th- reasons why I think the community dinners works is because families go. And if you engage people as a family, it's good. it does get longevity because at the YMCA, we we'll sometimes have children in for an hour and a half and they're having a healthy meal. They get fed every time they're there. But you've got an hour and a half. The rest of the week, they're with their families and they're eating whatever the family um, can make based on the skills that they have. So I've always found that when we do cooking demonstrations or cooking workshops and we develop our curriculum after uh, finding the funding, if you can get a family to come in, even one of the parents, and you give them the skills to take home, yeah. then your intervention isn't a momentary hour and a half. You know, it's you know, it's like uh, teach a man to fish. Yeah, but it's, you can do that with children at a young age, but unless you're engaging the parents at the same time. So in short, the best way to do it would be to engage families, you know. I was just thinking there's a much opportunity there for people to engage with each other in these things because it could be, we miss that in society as well, like the different age groups kind of mixing in the one place you know uh, um, I'm glad you brought that up, yeah, I'm glad that's it's an excellent point Billy because that's one of the great things about the community dinners I saw it in Australia and uh, I've seen it now in, in Glasgow and so Cross, you get that I hate using that term, intergenerational it's like, that's something I put in a funding application, <laughs> you know 
ジェネレーションオブアイスプラジスビアラングスサウスウォールケンボックストーデイモーラングウェイジェネレーションオブアイスプラジスビアラングスサウスウォールケンボックストーデイモーラングウェイジェネレーションオブアイスプラジス
and then scream at each other from across the divide. And uh, what I've tried to do with local voices is to create a channel and to create a space within which people can step uh, from opposing sides. They'll, they'll always be with me. Who knows in the future we'll get you know them in the same room and I'll stand back and yeah. I'll referee that like a uh, like a cage fighter, like MMA, you know. But for, just, in just the meantime, for, it's worked well. It's just, I was actually going to come on to that just now, just for people watching. Local Voices is a YouTube channel you've started. Whereby you're you're, in, you're wanting anyone really in the community with any viewpoint whatsoever really to get in yes, touch yes. with you and yes, talk again. It's the idea. That's why I was going to lead into it because it's the idea of conversation that you you're kind of saying. Well, I'm not a channel that believes this. You're kind of saying like I'm an open channel for discussion. So the, yes, I don't necessarily agree with what my guests are saying, and you don't seem to push your thoughts onto any of them, you kind of let them express themselves without, you know, uh, I can kind of get that sometimes. <laughs> so anyway, that, that's what I, so how did that kick off? How did you get up with Local Voices? What got the idea for that? I, I, I wanted to do something, Billy. In March 2020, I went in a kind of state of, uh, like most people are like, what is this? You know, what is happening? And then started to do my research, and it gets to the point where you've done enough research. You know, you've you've done enough. You don't need to fill your head anymore. You you need to act. Um, and I found myself uh, uh, constipated, uh, to use a term, uh, for about a period of months. And I knew I had to do something, and I wanted to maybe create something, uh, maybe a channel where I would come on and I would rail, or but instinctively, I. I I was going home at night and turning on YouTube to watch people do that and take satisfaction in it, but it wasn't it wasn't really helping. It was giving me information, but it it wasn't it wasn't bridging that divide. It wasn't actually helping the, the overall situation. It was helping me, I thought. So I had a chance conversation with my sister. Uh, I was coming out from a Sunday dinner. We meet on a Sunday. Uh, my family and we have dinner, and my sister Debbie said to me. You know, and I was toying with it. I said, like, I'm not sure about making it balanced. I'm not sure. And she said, listen, you know, you should. She said, your, your gut's telling you to do that, so you should follow it. But she's like, there's nobody else doing that, creating that space. Um, and given that I'm kind of known in the, the community, I interact with all the churches, the housing associations, um, the police at times, Glasgow City Council, the funding bodies. I felt that like I was in a good position, Billy. I was well positioned to to set that up and, and to facilitate that discussion. So it was like a combination of kind of following my gut, following my uh, uh, advice uh, from a family member, and then just appreciating that it was the most appropriate thing to do. You know, and it was the easiest thing to do. And I think sometimes it's no easy, but it, it just felt natural. It felt like that this is something that I would do. Sometimes you think we have to struggle for success, but actually, if you do the thing that comes most easy to you, that's probably the thing you should be doing, you know? Um, I no, exactly. That's a path, path of least uh, resistance, and it just fell. Because like, if you if you put yourself in a position where you're, you're educating people, and it, it's great, but with that comes a, a, a responsibility. And if you're doing that consistently, then you need to make sure you're on top of your game and keeping up with, with all the information you maybe need to condense into a single topic, or maybe you could be one of these guys that touches on a lot of things. There's nothing wrong with that either. Um, but I've got a full-time job, and I've also got a business to run. Um, so 
I'm not saying it was the easier option in terms of time, but it just it just felt I, I was like, I can do this. You know, I can, once a week I'll meet up with people, I'll film them, I'll go up the road and I'll edit it and we'll see where it goes. And then through that, I managed to meet um, uh, some people and became involved with Unite for Truth as well. So it's one thing's led to another. And I think sometimes by following uh, your instincts, that, that can happen. Yep, I'm a great believer in that. Um, I, I, you're actually better than me. You actually have a business plan and stuff like that. You are somewhat organised. <laughs> but certainly there is an element. We have to kind of balance things, you know, instead of just all intuition or all, you know, total organisation. There has to be a middle path where you kind of first follow your heart with the idea, but then you put the building box in place to f make that happen. And I think that's very important these days, actually. It's ultra important that we get different groups talking to each other because that's the, the divides is just all over the place and that's what they want is all divided. We were at George Square on Saturday there and I went up to talk to the police and I had a, a really good encounter with them and I just felt like, you know, I said to them, like, we need you on the side of truth, basically, because we're in this together, you know? I don't want to be fighting with the police. I see them as people just doing a job, and that's what they're expressing. But so you're given that they had a politician. Who's been the three guests you've had on uh, so far on the local uh, voices? Aye, uh, first guest was uh, Scott McFarlane. He is the the manager of Pennycook YMCA. I met Scott. Um, I was uh, advised to meet him. I was feeling a wee bit with the YMCA. I wasn't sure. I wanted to take it somewhere but I, I wasn't even, I didn't feel like I was I, things weren't right at a kind of structural level in terms of kind of strategy or whatnot to get it there so I met up with Scott and I sat down with this guy and I learned more from him in one hour uh, than I, I did from anybody or have done from anyone in terms of the community world he sat down and he talked me through essentially uh, a business plan for the YMCA he was like Andy what, what's your aims and objectives what's your strategies you know, and I was, I was a bit hazy <laughs> around it because one of these guys really, he's taught me, he's taught me an awful lot about. He's a very spiritual guy, and that came across in his interview. But he's very on the ball as well, and um, so he was a great person. And um, what happened was at the time where this carry on started, the situation in March twenty, in March twenty twenty, I was sat in this living room, Billy, and I was wondering who did I talk to. Who can I speak to? And again, it was my instinct. I was like, I remember meeting that Scott McFarlane and there was, there was something about him. He was one of these guys where, and it doesn't happen too often, but I was an hour in his company and I thought about it a long time after. So I picked up the phone. I made out it was like a kind of YMCA thing. I was like, oh, Scott, Andy, for the talk to us YMCA. And we started talking. And from that point, we've become friends. Um, so I got Scott on and his interview was great. He was coming at it from a very spiritual point of view, a very balanced point of view. Um, and I thought that given that it's a balanced platform, I, I really wanted him to be that first person. After that, it was uh, John Mason. Uh, his uh, interview was in two parts. That was good. That was at the local park. Um, John was kind enough to come on. And it's one of the advantages, I think, Billy, of local voices is that through a balanced platform, you can engage a wide strata of society in the local community. I can well, John Mason is a politician. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say that. That's him. Uh, MSP. MSP yeah. for the SNP party. Excuse me. And John's came to the community dinners of the YMCA. He supported me in a, in a lot of regards. So uh, approaching him felt very natural as well. And he came on. And I was really pleased at how candid he was in talking about 
I mean, I, I might not dis- I might not agree with everything John said, and in some cases, I might strongly disagree. However, I do respect the man for coming on. Um, and maybe a wee bit of risk to himself talking about subjects like the Great Reset, talking about COVID passports, and that allows me to then take that voice and present it to the community and say, right, this is what your local MSP thinks up the road. What do you think about that? And, yeah, it makes, um, it, more, makes it more real. Makes it more real for the. Because all conspiracy theorists or Great Reset, that's a conspiracy theorist. Oh, you know, but if your local MSP is talking about it, it's like, hold on a minute. What is that great reset? (laughs) (laughs) No, definitely, definitely. So that the first couple of interviews have been great, and then the last one was a wee bit different. It was um, Sorley Mackay, who's a a musician that I know. The guy who I started the business with, Brody Mackay, is his brother. Um, And I asked him to come on because we have great conversations. um, And I just thought if I can catch this in camera, it'd be really good. And again. He's got a balanced point of view and he's a young guy and he's not giving it two barrels. Like I know what's happening in, you know, both barrels about Jeffrey Epstein or anything like that. But I chose the interviews at the start. And I'll be honest about that. I've chosen them to make sure that it starts in a way that brings people in. Um as the situation develops, Billy, we'll, we'll see how balanced. Um, so how, how has it been received so far? Pretty good then? You've had a good reception? I, I, fantastic. I think uh, I, I've, I've been really, really pleased that people phone me up and really uh, commend me for doing it. I, I think what I've tapped into, Billy, and you know this yourself, there's a real desire for dialogue. There's okay. such a desire for... Not, not, you know, not only to engage in dialogues at times in, in communities in the East End, people can struggle with confidence. You know, they've got something to say, but, you know, other people do that. I don't do that. You know, that type of attitude. But I think just the very act of, of seeing a conversation happen, just what, just being able to know that that guy's there doing something, he's to, oh, is that, is that the local MSP? What's he saying? There's, a, there's an election coming up. Aye. So it's been great. The initial traction has been fantastic. Um, and I, I, I'm really confident that it can develop. I do feel that some people in, in the community, and I think maybe globally, have made their minds up. And like you say, they they will not be converted. They will not, and they won't even entertain. That's fine. This uh, this channel isn't for them. And I'm, uh, <laughs> are, you try- are you trying to convert them then? You know, you're saying no, they won't be converted. No, not at all. Not at all. Not- yeah, that's not the aim of the channel. But are you going to get people on the conspiracy side of it on as well? Yeah, you're just starting off with more general public. Without a doubt. I wouldn't say I wouldn't, uh, conspiracy people. Um, you know I what I mean? We got labeled for that. I know that, Billy. But I'll definitely get the other side on, and, and, and that's coming. And we'll just see. At one point, Billy, I'm just going to have to let go of the reins over. You know, right. I will choose at the start, but at one point, and it, I feel like it's just, I've got this faith, Billy, that it's just going to develop uh, organically. I use the phrase, it's just going to, as this situation that we're in, me and you and everybody else, as this develops and uh, society goes the way that it's going to go, local voices will develop with it. And I, I feel very comfortable with that. I'm just, just pleased now that it's off the ground and it's been received well. I haven't offended anyone to the extent that I need to shut it down. So it, it's kind of sailed through and it's... Um, <laughs> It's become known in the community, so I'm pleased. Do you find it a little bit, I don't know, like for instance, I'm on here every night, I'm shouting the odds about anything, and I'm working in a local factory, but it's a risk I'm prepared to take. Is there anything to do with your job that you 
feel like you can't say on camera or things like that you would like to say if you never had that job? I mean, in terms of uh, the YMCA, that is a that that is an issue. Um, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't. I'm in a boat where my role is in the community is to provide services through the YMCA and manage those services, parent toddler group, uh, drop in for young people, community dinners, fitness classes for the older people, music classes, taekwondo. I need to manage all that. I need to manage the people that run those things. So when it comes to the kind of policies and procedures that come from the government and the government guidelines, I'm the guy that needs to uh, that needs to implement those. Up, up until this point, that's been that's been fairly fine. We do social distancing uh, and the YMCA, and that's perfectly fine. It is getting to a point now uh, where, in terms of uh, the vaccinations and things like that, and COVID passports. And uh, the world is changing to a point where um, people's lives are being infringed upon to a point where they, they won't take it anymore. And I, I think that time is coming. Perhaps it's already here. But for the time being, I've, I've managed to keep my uh, my role at the YMCA. I don't think I've ever been in danger of losing it because uh, I, I do my job and I do it well. Um, but there, I, there is definitely an element of... Um, performing your role and your job and then doing the things that you want to do um, in your own time. However, uh, with the role that I have in the community, and as I said, things are going to, things are going to develop and as the situation develops and as local voices develops, you know, my life will develop as well, you know. And what do you think about the kind of, I think the words apathy really of the general population with regard to the seem to be just going along with the plan. Do you think that's a good idea to go along with the plan? Do you think, you know, what's your opinion on the vaccines and the COVID passports? And what do you think about the people's reactions themselves at this stage in the game? Well, I'll speak first about my, my own position on it. Um, under no circumstances uh, would I ever take a COVID vaccine. Um, and I'll state on camera that I would rather take a bullet. And I mean that sincerely. I would, I would rather take a bullet than take that vaccine. And uh, I now stand by that. And it feels good to be able to voice that and uh, to feel that conviction within me. So that's how I feel about, about that. What's your, what's your reason for that? I don't think that the vaccine has been rolled out with the intention uh, that's been stated. I think the narrative that this is an interest of protecting public health I find highly questionable, and it becomes very transparent when you look at the the COVID passport. Um, and the, at the end of the interview with John Mason, John Mason was voicing his opinion regarding the COVID passport and how it would make him feel very uncomfortable if at the local co-op um, you had to show a, a vaccine passport in order to enter. And then at the end of that, at the end of that interview, I, I voiced my my own opinion and invited a response on it. Where um, the COVID passport is the the Chinese social credit system. That's what it is. You know, it's it's been presented as a a mechanism that's going to protect people and keep them safe by introducing a digital framework, whereby your movements uh, and all your activities and your access to the services in society. Uh, are going to be impeded. Um, that's a violation of your, your human rights. And it's the, I think we've been heading this direction for a long time, Billy, but 
this is a very much a, an in-your-face, you know, you're going to comply with the dictates of society, and if you don't, then you're not going to be able to function within that. It's been presented currently in a way that John Mason's opinion was that this was about an international travel, perhaps, but we know it's about pubs, we know it's about cafes, and we know it'll be about all the spaces that people would like to go in. So that's, it's been used as a... It's been presented on the face of it as protecting you, but it's the age-old thing that the measures that have been brought in by the government in your best interest are actually going to be um, tools for your own enslavement and your own control. It seems to me, you know, the ends do not justify... Basically, what they're claiming, the 97% survival rate, I don't know what numbers, you know what I mean? Even if you go by the official mm -hmm. figures, it's got to be dropping in people's heads that the extreme measures that are being introduced are in no way justified by what mm -hmm. they're saying somewhere. But obviously, the fear of the media is just pumping that fear. Of, do you, I take it you don't watch television in the media. What's your thoughts on that? I, I, some, see, sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll dip into Good Morning Britain. There's a wee old lady who's gardening I do around the corner all June. I'm sure she will be, be watching this because uh, she watches the telly. And I'll go around there, do a bit in the garden, and she'll make me a cup of tea. And typical uh, elderly person, the TV is up. So <laughs> blast. all of a sudden she'll be telling me, and I'll be like, ah, and it'll be BBC News. And that'll be my only insight in it. But because it's a bit like what we're saying about the travelling belly and going further away from Scotland and seeing it more clearly, because I don't uh, expose myself to that when I see it, yeah. especially after that, a bit of graft in the garden <laughs> and my defences are down. My word, honestly, it's obscene. It's obscene uh, the way that the information has been presented. But you're dead right. A word that I like to use when I'm post posing questions, Billy, is proportionate. You know, are yeah. these measures that have been introduced proportionate to the threat of the alleged virus? And that stumps people because what it does is it forces people to engage in a critical thinking process whereby they're comparing two things. People don't like, in this day and age, in this climate, people don't like to do that, you know? So if you ask them, is it proportionate, then they think proportionate. So that, does that justify that? And it immediately puts them into that, that thinking process, and I, I like to do that uh, with regards to contradictions. But I do feel like people have been drawn into this through fear. Uh, it's, and not just fear, but a collective fear and confusion. And I'm just, I'm really, really surprised at people, Billy, that we've, we've had precedence for this before. We saw it at the time of the Iraq war. Uh, we were going there and we were going to protect the world and we we're going to protect each other because there was these missiles pointing directly at us. Uh, so we had to go over there and we listened to the media, and we listened to the politicians, and we did it. And then that gave birth to the, to the police state and the surveillance state. Again, what was that done? We're going to protect you. Yeah, it's all, it's all done to protect us, yeah. That's it. I'm just really, really surprised. And that's, I was speaking to Murray just before about the capacity for local voices and um, the capacity for other bits, you know, the work the Unite for Truth are doing and uh, the Ice Bucket Challenge video, things like that. What it does, I'm just, I'm just about to come on to that. Yeah, that was a very good example. I've seen this video recently. Uh, Ian, Ian uh, Noha, I think, is the guy's name. <laughs> And the basics in the in the pub, and he's talking about how the it's like everyone's taking the vaccine just like they've done the ice bucket challenge, just because it's mm -hmm. a thing to do, and we're all programmed yeah. to follow my leader, basically. 
Um, we work with other groups. We're a, a collaborative group. But within the group, we try and utilise our different strengths. So Murray is a guy that will be the, the networker and the connector. Uh, Paul Corner, um, a bit like myself, a bit of a, an all-rounder. But his background is in Tai um, Chi Gong. I almost said Tai Chi, you'll kill me. Um, <laughs> Chi Gong, sorry, Paul. Um, so he brings that element to it, and a kind of a spiritual uh, element to the group. We start each um, each session with the, with a meditation. You know, we're, we're quite connected in that regard. And then there's other individuals like Mary, uh, who bring a lot to the table. She's been involved with a, a lot of things over the past twelve months. Uh, lots of great ideas. Debbie, who's a local uh, mother in the area, uh, Toll Cross. So, and uh, she's been great. She's uh, doing a, a lot of work around uh, branding um, and the kind of small things that, that make a group a group. I was going to say, do so you have a it, group? Is it a Facebook group or do you have a page or a uh, website? We've got a Facebook group, uh, Billy. We've got a, a bit shoot as well. Right. And we've got an Instagram too. Although we're, these are just new things. We just set these up uh, a couple of weeks ago, the Facebook in particular. Um, but I know it's been a great experience so far and it, it's felt dead natural because again it feels like I've, I've followed my instinct and I've been introduced to, to the right people at the right time So is United for Truth are they involved directly with the Glasgow George Square thing? Are they the people that organise it? Rob S and people like that? Or not organise? Um, in terms of, <laughs> yeah, of organising <laughs> uh, there are no organisers um, it's all natural but we're all following our instincts Um but no, um, the guys, uh, Paul Corner, they've been there for the start, um, and I really admire them for that. They realised that something was was amiss, and um, they've uh, they've stood up and they've been there at the square in the entire time. So I've been introduced to these guys, but I feel like quite quickly I've I've became part of the group, and I, I've tried my best to to offer the kind of skills and, and ideas that I have. Um, to just to try and amplify the strengths of each member of the group, and it's it's a wonderful thing. Like I was always wary of joining things and all that, but now that I'm uh, working with a, a committed small group, I feel like the skills that I learned uh, in developing the business and the skills that I learned in, in managing people at the YMCA have kind of not that I manage the guys, but I think I'm quite good at giving a wee bit of structure. You know, it's, I've been at a lot of meetings in, a, in my professional life where. You're basically having your time wasted. You know, yeah. it's like two hours. You're like, there was yeah. absolutely no point in that meeting, um, and that's fine. It happens a couple of times, but as you get older, you try and avoid it. And especially at this time, you want your interactions with people uh, to be as effective as you can. So I feel like I, I bring that to the group. But it's been a, it's been actually been an amazing uh, experience. We went up to Cross Park on Saturday, uh, Sunday there, and we met. Uh, as a group, and we were up to Oakhurst Park, and we had some banners out, uh, some signs, took some photos, and that was a kind of first step in being a visual presence in the park in the local area. So, um, it, it, as I'm speaking, Billy, I'm kind of reflecting on uh, how things have changed for me in the past 12 months and the things that I'm involved in uh, all of a sudden. But it all feels great. I, I do have this feeling that I'm, I'm exactly where I need to be at this time. That's good. So, what what do you think about George Square itself? Because I was there and I'd seen six thousand Rangers fans do a bouncy bouncer there a few weeks before, and now we're here trying to you know fight against the obviously state uh, state 
police state where is unfolding. And uh, it's a little bit disappointed to see a sparse crowd there. Are, is this group like going to be more actively trying to get a crowd there? And what is the purpose of getting a crowd there? And do you think an actual crowd there is going to be more beneficial than trying to connect online? What is the overall goal of that group and the purpose of the meetings on a weekly basis? That's what are. No, that's a really interesting question, Billy. I mean, you're talking about the contrast between almost uh, digital and social media engagement and then engagement face-to-face in the street. And it's a weird uh, dichotomy because in order to get people onto the onto the street, you need to communicate. And it's the year 2021, and people communicate through their phones and through their social media. And I think, uh, I don't know enough about the square in the previous 12 months, but I think in terms of numbers, uh, they have struggled throughout the entire time. I can only speak about from January when, I, when I've started attending consistently. Although I'd, I'd been up to the green and all that before. But in terms of why the numbers aren't there, I'm unsure. And I think you could do a kind of one-size-fits-all. This is why it isn't happening, but we need to pay respect to, to people and, uh, and individual human beings. There'll be a lot of unique reasons as to why people are there. I would say some people in our societies, they'll never be there. Um, they're very yeah. much glued in uh, to the kind of mainstream narrative as to what's happening. George Square isn't for them, and it perhaps never will be. Although I'll never give up on uh, and anyone. Um, then there's people who are slightly aware of a different perspective, but for whatever reason, they, they don't want to take it further. Perhaps I've heard people say they don't they don't want to go to the square because their face will be seen, uh, and they're scared that their, their, their employer will find out. I've heard of people not going to the square because maybe like myself, they don't join things, they've never done that before. And then you've got people who are aware and they're involved in uh, different groups, you could say, telegram groups, things like that, and they're sharing information. Maybe, maybe they're doing 100 uh, posts or 100 shares a day uh, and fair play to them. Um, but these people aren't coming to the square. So I think you would need to analyse each one differently, Billy. Um, and be, just be. I think we need to be aware that there's different people at different stages, you know, and at times it's horses for courses and perhaps for some people it's a, a kind of shocking tactic that's maybe needed, you know, sharing information or sharing it in such a way that you can expose them to it so they kind of wake up yeah. or um, it's a case of making the square maybe more inviting. Again, I don't, I don't want to pass judgment. I think the, the work that's been done there is, is absolutely superb and for guys like uh, uh, Rob S and ladies like Diane and Mandy and Laura, uh, I'm actually interviewing interview them tomorrow and uh, Rob S was today uh, I'm doing uh, Rob S and Laura soon as well. <laughs> so I've got nothing but admiration for these guys and it's uh, it's absolutely fantastic that they've been there every week and, and they must feel incredibly frustrated so uh, the way that they unite for truth um can help and the way that I can help uh, is by working uh, with people like Mandy and Laura and Diane and Rob S uh, and work the best way that we can uh, to get people there. I do feel really, uh, really hopeful, I think, in terms of the change that's happening. I, I just feel as though, like, not just with this situation, but the world and the almost like the universe in, in general is building towards like a point. Do you feel it like that? I think everybody feels some kind of, you know, bombshell or something about to happen or it seems to be bubbling up to Don't something. Bombshell, 
I don't know. There is a kind of underlying awakening to go on. I'm on these, these shows every night, and m most of the guests are, are on here, are, or the audience. I'm preaching to the converted. And then you go out into the supermarket, and still everyone's wearing a mask. So on the one hand, you're seeing, well, compared to 10 years ago, there is more awakening for sure. And even in the last year, I'm sure a lot of people have woken up. And there does seem to be a lot of synchronicities kind of falling into place and yeah. like there is a magic possibly unfolding. But at the same time, there is the pre-state and there is all these machinations in place, whatever, that, you know, and the TV's got a grip of people and there is injections going into people's arms. Mm. So that's going to be a consequence of that and you don't know where it's leading. So on the one yeah. hand, you're hopeful that the good is going to lead to the good, but you, you have to temper it with the realistic thing like, if you don't do something about it, that's going to unfold. So I think it's going to take people's actions to make it better. You know, it's not just a case of it's not just magically this is all going to work out kind of thing. We have to actually become embody the spirit and be spiritual, but that requires physical action and this plane and bringing the the spirit into the the realm. You know, and creating heaven and earth. I can agree more, and I think you actually put that very well. Is you know, action is going to bring this spirit through and we're going, to, we're going to manifest that. And me and Ian have a lot of conversations and I come away with this phrase and I do I do believe in it, that I, I do believe in a, a higher spiritual power. Um, I, I, at times I don't feel comfortable naming it. You know, I wouldn't put a Christian or anything like that on it, but I, I do believe in, in that. And I think, Billy, that if we do commit right action and if we do... Uh, follow our instincts and we follow our hearts and then we, we meet that with action I do think that we'll be met halfway at times it does seem really dark and it, like there is some type of divine intervention which is required but and it looks really dark ahead I'm not going to lie, it looks incredibly dark and it, the, the cat is in the bag or the, the bun's in the oven in terms of the, the vaccinations and now that's going to unfold but we do just need to keep going and I, I do feel like as I mentioned earlier on in the interview I do feel that in my own life, I'm being led, and maybe you're appreciating that yourself in terms of some uh, synchronicities. Um, we do just need to go forward and, and provide support to, to people that are really um, showing strength at this time. I mean, the guys, guys like Robes that are up there and standing up, we need to support them and work with them. Um, we need to, to understand the knowledge. We have to get the knowledge. As I said, with you, the growing the food, with Robes, with the legal stuff, even with the Laura and this exposing the sex trafficking stuff, mm. we need to become aware and educate ourselves in these things. You know, that's not just a case of oh, Rob S is taking care of that. You're taking care no, of that. That's it. And I feel like it's an interesting thing you brought up education there. And I, I feel like we're, we're talking about the square and the social media almost as if they're uh, antagonistic to each other. I think we can work a way that these uh, these two aspects complement each other. In my mind just now, I'm thinking about, I'm doing some videos for um, Unite for Truth. I think I sent you one, it was to do with the square, I put a wee, wee bit of music to it. And it was Rob S speaking. You haven't watched it really, have you? I can't remember it offhand. That is shocking, mate. I'll send it again, don't worry. <laughs> but I probably have watched it. I did another one just now, and uh, a bit sad that you're actually in it, so you might be more inclined to watch it. So, um... No, okay. was, that, was that the one from the 4th? Aye. Uh, for the 4th, aye, aye. But I did one for the 10th as well. Right, uh, I've not seen that one. 
Uh, well, I just done it just before I came on. Um, I released that, but in that video is an invitation uh, to the square, and that's the way I think it could work. In that, at the square, where we're documenting what's happening and we're putting together putting it together in a certain way, because I think that on Saturday was a real eye opener for me. The diversity of the speakers, different people got up. Rob S got up, doing what Rob S does. Uh, Mandy was up, and then you got up. And when you got up, it was a uh, very lively, very engaging, uh, but not in a kind of uh, out-and-out funny way, but you were uh, you were sincere, you know, you were sincere in, in what you were saying, but you can tell that your background in comedy and music and, uh, you know, performing, that that was definitely there, and it was, people really responded to it, and it was fantastic to see that kind of brightness come into the square. Um, there's a space for music, I think, if somebody was to be there with a guitar, something... Uh, to get any people's emotions or to make it inviting. And then there was a lady stood up, uh, Simone, Simona, I think her name was, and she was speaking about masks. And it was a very uh, technical talk. Was uh, that the, the Romanian kinda... lady? Yeah, I, I thought her talk was absolutely fantastic. And yeah. the way that she could rhyme off, the, the studies that she'd read and her, her concerns, and particularly her concerns about the masks. So in one, in one session, I'm sure there were other speakers, but those are the, the four that I mentioned. In one session, you've got Will Best talking about common law. You've got the girls talking about uh, corruption and exploitation of children. You've got information around the masks and uh, yourself coming up and, and oh bring that bright aspect. <laughs> it, was, it was great. You know, it was a really, and there's such potential, but, you know, I, I think that that link between social media and presenting that kind of brilliant diversity of voice at the square and presenting that and then using that as a, as a way to draw people to the square and an interesting thing I'd, uh, I've been thinking about of, of late is, you know, what happens at the square? People go there and uh, they listen and, and it's great. Um, but I wonder if there's some way that we could facilitate a way for people to become engaged when they're at the square. I, I think the square in some ways is a, is a good place for education. It's all best put across very well. It's very succinct. Uh, and he's obviously been immersed in this information for years, so he puts it across fantastically well. Um, I think... At times it can be a bit much for people. It'd be hard for them to grasp what's happening in the full extent at the square. So I think there could be a mechanism whereby they come to the square and they somehow provided a, a kind of pathway. You know, whether that be something as, as simple as like in a, a table with some information on it, um, just a, a way to keep them involved. Because I think a lot of people have drifted in over the past 12 months, but for whatever reason they've drifted away and um, I, I get frustrated. I was um, involved in some uh, telegram uh, disputes, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, over the past uh, few days. And what I realised is the, the amount of people that are in telegram groups, you hear about some guys that get followings of um, followings of you know, thousands. You know, this guy's got 7,000, this guy's got this, this, guy, this movement's got that, and they, they style themselves as movements. Um but where are they following these people? Following them where? You know, uh, the square on a Saturday, there's 50 people. And I said, I think we've got it uh, back to front, whereby the Telegram groups have got more following uh, than Rob S uh, at the square, or than the, the square has, is that kind of physical presence. So I think you're dead right to bring that up, Billy. Like, I think there's a balance that needs to be struck. And I think people that are in Telegram groups and they're doing the 100 shares a day and, they, and all that and they're passing the information, that's great. 
But what you said earlier, if we're going to manifest this this spirit and we're going to change this world, we need action. And I, I think to share information is an action. But if that's all you're doing, and you're doing that in the digital world, and we're at, we're at a time, uh, Billy, where it's almost like we have to come to terms with mankind's relationship to technology, not just in the, the what we're talking about right now, but just in general. We've went from a, a kind of time in the last few hundred years where technology has come in to an extent where we're, we're dependent on it now. If the technology was to go, this would all go as well. We've went from a place where this uh, tension between man and technology was being felt um, during the agricultural uh, revolutions, you know, and people were losing their jobs in the fields. So the technology was in the field and they lost their jobs and they went to the cities. But in the cities, you know, all of a sudden the technology is on the house, they've got uh, electricity and the technology is in the house. After a, a few more decades, everybody's got a TV and now we've got technology in every room. Everybody's got technology in every room. <laughs> That's it. And then look, I'll, I'll just I'll put up a hand to the technological devices that I've got. We've all got it in our houses and every room. We've got it to hand. We've got technology on us. We've even started wearing technology. We're now at a point where the technology went from the field to the city to the house to the home to the body. And I think this is what the vaccination represents is um, uh, the imposition of technology inside the human body in order to change what the human being is. And I think we, we need to come to terms with that. And, you know, are we going to stand by and watch um, artificial intelligence supplant divine intelligence, which is what I think is happening. Um, and the, the final battleground for that is the, is the human body, I, I think quite appropriately. So as we speak about this tension between the, the square and the, fl the flesh and blood men and women standing and the, the, the telegram groups and the kind of digital engagement, we need to get that balance right because technology is a double-edged sword and we're experiencing that as a species. And I think we're experiencing that in the square on a Saturday as well. That's very well said. I, I agree with that. It's one thing being active. You think you've been active on social media, but really we're still sitting in our chairs, you know. It's like a cul-de-sac. And unless we get out there, because I think you know, you're actually out there growing the food. That's the kind of action that needs to be taking place. We need to actually start mm -hmm. thinking, where's our food supply coming from and then fuel sources and stuff, whatever. Because who knows, the whole thing could collapse the, the, the matrix that we want to take down the matrix, but what happens if we do? Then it's ground zero. So we need to be ready to live like that, and that's a hard way for people to come to terms with. We want to go back to that old, normal, crazy world, but that ain't coming back. So to mm. me, it's a, it's a new kind of humanity we have to strive towards, more based closer in nature, communities, you know, and supporting each other and all this legal stuff to me on the one hand they can understand what people are fighting the system with the system but it comes down to and unfortunately you, you don't know if you can trust other people but really I, ideally we'd want a world where you live in the moment we follow our intuition and everybody treats each other with kindness and love and respect mm. there's a certain group of people in this world who are you know making all the other ones fight against each other Without yeah. knowing that they are like the red and the black ants, they live peacefully. You shake the jar and then they go to war with each other until they're all dead. Have you heard of that, about that one? Yeah, 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 no, I have, yeah. There's somebody shaking the jar and we're too busy fighting with each other. And it's time to, you know, turn the spotlight on them, basically. And yeah, we'll put it again. 
Without a doubt, and I think it's become more transparent. I think with the Black Lives Matter stuff last year, I think we're just about to go through round two. And I hope that when people, uh, when it comes up again, that people will be able to... I hope that when it comes up again, people will be able to um, and if they see it, see it for that. Um, so I mean, the way I, they use football with the Black Lives Matters and stuff like this and bringing politics into these sports and there's nobody in the ground and yet they're all not wearing masks and then people in the streets wear a mask. It's just insane how people are watching that and accepting that, you know, and going along with it. <laughs> uh, no, it's, a, it's an interesting one. I mean, you mentioned there about a kind of group being involved and I, I feel as well, Billy, what I'm getting is a real a real sense of a, an inhuman and a kind of non-human element coming into society is what I feel like when I see with the, the masks and the, the social distancing and the lack of connection and the the re- reduction in the spaces where we interact and do things that make us human, especially yep. the churches being shut down. You know, at, at one point I could sing karaoke, my local pub here, but you weren't allowed to sing the Sunday um, as part of the sermon. So I feel as though it's interesting that, that the arts and the music are being withheld and um, they've always been punished. You know, we know that from the education system. Uh, the music and the arts departments, you know, everything needs to learn maths and English. Um, but the, the arts are kind of neglected. And I, I see that kind of, kind of hyperdrive uh, just now. So I would say it's almost like, I was I was thinking about something that Robert said on the Saturday um, about our inalienable rights, where we have, in, we have inalienable rights and those rights are inherent within. It was, it, was a, it was a great way you put it. Um, but I was thinking about that word inalienable, and it's got the, almost like the word alien in it. Yeah, it's another alien. inalienable. It's inalienable. Yeah, it is actually right. an alien because I spelled it wrong, yeah. believe it or not. I spelled it right. inalienable, but it's one right. of these words where you sometimes say it, not how it's spelled. It was inalienable. Yeah, that's uh, right. So I need to look into that and see what that means. But do you feel that, Billy? Do you think there's maybe a non human? Um, I, well, you heard, me, you heard me rant <laughs> the square about where where is people's humanity, where's their mm. spirit? It's been co-opted. There's you know just a program basically. Mm. It's literally a program. The brain is not doing any original thinking. A lot of people their whole life is just a product of the BBC, you know. Mm. But um, we don't want to end it on a bad note. I was just wanted to say. As far as going forward, then, what's your your solutions and ideas? What would you like to leave the crowd with, the audience with thinking? Oh, solutions and ideas. Aye. Um, solutions and ideas. I mean, the kind of work that I'm doing just now is trying to trying to be creative and trying to use uh, social media in a way that kind of amplifies people's voices and and connects to people. Um, the name Unite for Truth has kind of grown on me. I was the too enamoured by it at the start, but I like the term. and I almost see it as a kind of directive to Unite for Truth. Um, in terms of solutions, I think we need to be a wee bit more creative as to how we're trying to engage people and how the, the methods, that, methods that we're using to try and bring people together. Um, and there'll be many different ways in which we can do that, but Really, a, a, a kind of thing that I would maybe like to end on is that throughout, I've mentioned about following uh, my own instincts, and I'm pleased with how the interviews came across because you, you've given me the opportunity, Billy, to 
talk about how instinct led me to travel and uh, I met certain people and I, I, I sit here um, after having followed all those um, times in my life where my gut was telling me and the message I would give to people in this time ahead is we all know what it is we have to do um, we all know within ourselves you know if you sit down quietly and sometimes you don't want to know what the answer is it's like, is it really that I need to do and there'll be fear with that but I do think that it, people know and instinctively within themselves what it is they're supposed to do and I hope in the time ahead that people can uh, can connect to that and I think sometimes we, we try and think out with ourselves in terms of strategy I, I do think there is a place for spirituality this time I think our pathway towards feeling more human um, and to kind of re realising the, the, the full potential of what humanity could be is going to be through a spiritual element um, and I think it's difficult, and I think it'd be difficult to get that across uh, spaces like at the square. Maybe not. You'd have to be a skilled speaker in order to do that. But I think in our own personal lives, we, we, we do need to, to look within it and do what we think straight. It's what you said earlier, I think, had it in the head. We need to manifest in this world through spirit. And I think people need to connect with the spirit in order to do that. You know, it's, I think a lot of people have woken up, and I respect them for that. But we're now at a, a stage where we need to we need to act. But you don't want to act for the sake of it. You don't want to upset people. And the best way to do that is, is to be true to yourself. And um, you need to get quiet. You know, you need to get yourself out of the city now and again. You need to look after your health. You know, so uh, that's follow your instincts. Um, <laughs> I don't know if that's a solution, Billy, but I, I think it's a pathway towards uh, solutions presenting themselves. Cool. It's been a pleasure having you on. You've got the, the business with the food. Can people uh, get that in any way? Um, or do you just serve to the restaurants and stuff? What if somebody want, wanted to deliver? It's just, the, it's just the restaurants, Billy, and because I'm developing the new site. Um, however, I intend to have it developed it's halfway through April. The time scale for that is about June. Um, so maybe I could come back on and uh, give you an update as to how the site's developing, um, how it has developed. And maybe we can talk at that time about uh, different ways that people can get involved, not just in terms of um, of buying from me. You know, if they wanted to come down, people like yourself, they wanted to come down and learn skills, who knows what we could set up, you know. And I think in terms of solutions, um, maybe it's like that, you know, like-minded people that have met through uh, chance, uh, you could call it, the mean yourself, thinking of working together. Um, so I, if you wanted to follow your instincts and, and come down, you'd be more than welcome, Billy, and I'd, I'd be more than happy to come on and, and talk to people about that. Yeah, well, I'm certainly interested in paying a visit and seeing how it's going and certainly learning because who knows you know, what's around the corner because who would have thought we'd be where we are just now and God knows what else is in their script. So the more skills we can acquire to be self-sustainable and you know, not in the great reset, version of it but for our own lives the better so I think you've no. been doing a great job Andy and I really respect what you've done with your work, with the work in the community Local Voice is a great idea and getting in there and getting your hands dirty and supporting United for Truth and everything else that you do I think you're a great asset to the Truth community and I will be happy to get you back on sometime mate so no. thank you, yeah, I, I really appreciate that, thanks Billy Okay, if you stay put then I will just say bye-bye to the folks. Right, folks, thanks for watching. Hope you enjoyed that one. And uh, I'll be back with you sometime soon. I've got Tony Sayers on Wednesday and possibly an interview tomorrow, but 
we'll keep you up to date. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. Cheers, folks.